Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Miles. And welcome back to episode three of the AM Productions podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing the wild card round and giving a divisional round preview. And with that, we're going to be starting off into our first subtopic of wild card weekend, and that is NFC East teams collapse. Now, if you paid attention to the wild card weekend, there were a lot of blowouts, but the main two teams that got blown out were the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. And these were not particularly strong showings for the NFC East. And uh, frankly, both these games were very, very embarrassing. It put both the head coaches of these teams on the hot seat. And there's a lot of things to talk about. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is Philadelphia, is the Philadelphia Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni, is he gone after this playoff performance? Now, Philly is a very, very impatient city when it comes to sports. We've seen this with the 76ers. We've seen this with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, we've seen it even with the Phillies. They are very, very unruly, you know, just fans. And they can they can rip this city to, this city to shreds over the smallest little thing. And in this case, it really isn't a small thing that they're getting upset about. The the Eagles lost to the Buccaneers who barely won their division and it wasn't even it wasn't even a close game. The Buccaneers blew them out. And I, I think that Sirianni really, really should be, you know, should be scared for his job. Although he did bring them to the Super Bowl last year, this performance really like I, I really I really can't see how you can get get past this. What do you have to say about it, Alex? It's really weird because not too often do you see a, a coach who made the Super Bowl last year get questioned directly after, but after that performance, to to a Buccaneers team that wasn't even looked at at being really that good, and honestly, this regular season, let's face it, the NFC South has not been a good division. It's it, who whoever came out of that division, which happened to be the Buccaneers, was was you know supposed to be bound for a first round exit, but the Philadelphia Eagles. They put up one of the worst performances I've ever seen them put up in a playoff franchise, like as a franchise in the playoffs. It was utterly disgusting, down to the coaching, down to the players. Listen, they, they look like they did not want to play football after the first and second quarter. Like that, that second half was atrocious. They did not have, they, they showed a lack of heart for a team who got so close to tasting the Super Bowl and losing it. Where is that heart that the Philadelphia Eagles had when they were in the game with the Chiefs until the fourth quarter, actually leading at points in the fourth quarter? It, it, it's it's not the same Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that question needs to be proposed, but my answer would be no. I'd keep Nick Sirianni. He has done good in most of his playoff games. He's kind of revolutionized the offense, and he's given them some new gel. Also, their franchise quarterback, who they already paid, Jalen Hurts, who's already been paid by them, Nick Sirianni, he's really helped him with his, with his game personally. You know, we've, we've seen Jalen Hurts emerge into a star. So even because of this shortcoming, or even though this shortcoming, I think you give him. I think you give him another season. Look, I I see where you're coming from, Alex. But I mean, it's not even just the playoffs where he underperformed. It was those games down the stretch. I mean, yeah, they they lost six straight games, and they even lost their, their only win was against the New York Giants, my team, and the Giants still beat them a few weeks later anyway. So I mean, it doesn't even really matter. The Philadelphia Eagles just looked awful. Not even just in this playoff game, but throughout the second half of the season. They started off 11-0, and 0, and this has to be one of the more historic uh, just meltdowns that we've ever seen in the National Football League. And I'd also like to push back on, on that because, I mean, hey, Sirianni, he's what we like to call a CEO head coach. He's not a play caller. He's a culture bringer. He's a motivator. 
But what I saw from that Philadelphia team was, as you said, Alex, no heart, no motivation, no will to even be on the field. And they looked complacent. They did. And as a CEO head coach, you're very dependent on your offensive and defensive coordinators, which, you know, if you look at guys like uh, like Shane Steichen, Brian, Brian Johnson, I believe the two coordinators that were defensive and offensive coordinators, respectively, for Nick Sirianni last season that got him to the Super Bowl, those two coordinators, they went, they went by, they became head coaches or, you know, went to different teams. And Sirianni has clearly not been able to recover since then. So I, I'd say... If Philadelphia is to fire Sirianni, I, I I honestly have no issue with it. I completely see why. I, I don't I don't really feel like from where he stands right now, he's giving me a lot of hope and a lot of reason to keep him around. Um, yeah, but to jump ship, you know, we have to bully we have to bully another NFC East team, not just the Philadelphia Eagles, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. Now. Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. They were in a very similar situation as the Philadelphia Eagles going into this game. You know, they're going in as favorites against a team that barely made it into the playoffs and a team that is very was very overlooked coming out of the regular season. However, I think I'd argue the Cowboys got an even bigger butt kicking than the Philadelphia Eagles did. What say you, Alex, our resident Packers fan? Man, listen, the score doesn't say it, but honestly, this this can be looked at as a career stat padding game for Dak Prescott, his, his, his you know, I think they scored 32 <laughs> points. I think it was 32 to 48. Listen, like all that, all those points were meaningless in the fourth quarter. Like they were, they were, they were never in the game. They, they had, they had one stretch where it looked like they had a little bit of momentum with that last second touchdown at the end of the half. But even that just, that just made it from 27, uh, 27, zero to 27 to seven. Honestly, it looked like the Packers, they were the more confident team. And you could tell from the start when they wanted the ball first, you know, normally when teams win the coin toss, they choose to defer. But the Packers wanted it first. And they they marched down. Cowboys got a few bad penalties on defense. Packers marched down. Listen, and Aaron Jones, he had the game of his life. Three touchdowns. Romeo Dobbs had the game of his life. Over 100 yards. Jordan Love, 16 for 21. 157 passer rating. Like, the, the Dallas Cowboys put up such a bad performance that, that it, it led to all these historic Packer performances. Like, like we're going to be, we're going to be talking about wildcard Romeo for, for years to come because of the Cowboys. And also, honestly, I'm going to say Michael Parsons looked really impressive, but when it comes to a lot of the other Cowboy, Cowboy defensive players who are considered lockdown, I didn't see one other player who jumped to mind as an impressive performance. It, it, it was an underperformance, and also the, the the coaching and play calling can't be put into question after this game. I, I know I know the Cowboys are choosing to stay with McCarthy, but I think it's truly something that should be considered letting him go. Yeah, this was this was really uncharacteristic from the Cowboys because we've seen them at home. They've dominated teams. They've dominated on offense. They've dominated on defense throughout the regular season. They have not put a performance like up like this at home, in 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 you know. Throughout the rest of throughout the rest of this season, like I've never seen, I mean, a stinker quite like this. I mean, they were down. No, that was their I first believe, home loss. Yeah, I believe twenty-seven to zero at one point in this game. I mean, yep. seriously, this was this was unbelievable, and this game was never close. And on top of that, I mean, it was one thing for the Philadelphia Eagles to look out of sync. They've looked out of sync for six weeks. This Cowboys team came out of the gate, and something just didn't feel right about them. You know, 
Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb going at it on the sidelines. You know, Mike McCarthy even gave, came over to CeeDee Lamb and like tapped him on the shoulder and had a conversation with him. And in the first quarter, on the first drive, there was something clearly wrong here. And that's where that's where I, I begin to question the coaching. I, I mean, you know, you take a team like this that has done everything right at home, you know, throughout the, throughout the rest of the season. And all of a sudden in the wild card playoff game, they just completely lose themselves. That's when I, that's when I question coaching, frankly. So I agree. Mike McCarthy should be into question. I know Jerry Jones is going to choose to stick with him. However, I would just, I would just put the brakes on it. If I was, if I was in the Cowboys organization right now, I've clearly seen enough red flags. Um, Man, about that yeah. CD Lamb performance, it, it looked like he couldn't catch a thing that night. Mm-mm. Bad. Not at all. Yeah, and, and to add on what we were saying about the, the the Cowboys defense. I mean, first we were predicting Jaden Reed to have a big game. Hell, the entire offense had a big game. Alex, I mean, <laughs> Aaron Jones, like Jordan players. Love, Romeo, <laughs> Do- like everybody, everybody. It was they were wide open. Like they were they were wide open. I I, I mean, it was a complete and utter meltdown Out on part of the Cowboys. I mean, Dan Quinn also the defensive coordinator. Yeah, he also has to be put into question. He was getting head coach looks before this, and and to see what happened to his defense. I mean, I mean, Aaron Jones just sliced through them. So, I mean, this Cowboys team, what what happened? I I, I honestly I honestly can't figure it out. Was there something in the water with the NFC East that we're forgetting about? There's this is just unbelievable, and it was really I mean the Eagles not so much, but the Cowboys. This was really a surprise to see, and um. It does bring some joy to my face, though, as a Giants fan. So, you know, have to have to look at the bright side, I guess, there. Man, it, it, they just right. let Jordan walk into Dallas and spread his love. <laughs> he, he, he spread his love, all right. Yeah. Now, that actually is a perfect segue into our next topic. We're going to be talking about our next subtopic of Wild Card Weekend that Alex and I wanted to highlight was two young quarterbacks showing up and carrying. Well, not to say carrying, I guess. Let's just say showing up for their teams in very, very convincing fashion. And those two guys are CJ Stroud and the previously mentioned Jordan Loves. You know, there was a stat, Alex, I think you were talking about it just a little bit earlier, but these guys put up almost nearly identical performances. And man, did they impress? They impressed everybody that watched. I think if there was any doubt in anybody's mind about, you know, who the rookie of the year is going to be and, you know, does, does Green Bay have the quarterback of the future? I think both those questions were answered, you know, this this wild card weekend. What do you have to say about these performances, Alex? What CJ Stroud is doing with the Texans is nothing short of special and one of one. I've never seen a true rookie quarterback come into the NFL and just win a playoff game in that fashion. They scored like 54 that game. He, he honestly could be a rookie quarterback and also be a Super Bowl MVP. We, we, could, we could see him coming home with a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl MVP, and potentially... Even even rookie of the year too. So man, this is the greatest start to the career you can you can ask for if you're if you're CJ Stroud, um, and and he looked he looked crisp that game, man. The the he he talk about running. We were talking about the Packers, um, and the the Buccaneers kind of running with it down the stretch, um, as did the Texans. That was a close game versus the Browns early on, but they were they you know, despite being led by a young quarterback, they they came and they. They scored 50 on him. They scored 50 on him mostly in the second half. They did their thing. By all means, great performances. Yeah, and I mean, look, the one thing I will say about about Houston, and not just CJ Stroud in general, but Houston as a team, I mean, 
the AFC South, the AFC South is, you know, Jags move out of the way. I, I, I think this is clear. This is clearly the team to look at now. And perhaps, you know, the new team to watch out for in the AFC. Um, it'll be interesting for the years to come. It, will Stroud versus Lawrence be an interesting rivalry that we see two times a year? That could be a great quarterback matchup. Um, but also, just just in you know, in more praise of the Houston Texans, I think CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's have a bit of a Brady Belichick feel to it. I know that's crazy to say. You know, we've only seen one season of this. They haven't even won a Super Bowl yet. But you know, if you really look at it on paper, you have a defensive mastermind head coach and a young quarterback who commands the offense. And these two pairings together, they go just go hand in hand because look, you know, D'Amico Ryan's has brought an energy and a culture to this team that you know ignites the city and ignites this 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 team with this fight in them. And at the same time, you have an electrifying quarterback who can you know who can basically dig you out of any deficit and elevate you in any game and to me that sounds like the recipe for you know a, f- a future a future a future a power in the AFC but also possibly you know the next Brady Belichick so we'll see what happens with that I know the AFC is loaded but just keep your eyes peeled that sounds eerily similar to you know a very formidable duo um and also to talk about Jordan Love a little bit more Alex can you uh can you talk a little bit more about just what you saw from Jordan Love and his I don't know, mid-season turnaround, because if you've been watching Packers ball all season and in, in the beginning of the season, you know, we were still questioning if he's the guy. Where did it all turn around for him? You know, what happened? Listen, it started, the Packers started off two and five, and then they, they went on a little skid in the middle of the season. They won one and lost one. The game where I figured out Jordan Love was 100% the franchise quarterback is, I believe it was... New, uh, no, I believe it was Thanksgiving versus the Detroit Lions, where we did the same thing that we did against the Cowboys. We received the ball in the first half willingly. We won the coin toss and chose to receive it. We scored seven and carried that momentum all throughout the first half. And Jordan Love just looks composed. Uh, It's his first, I know he's not a rookie, but it's his first season as a starter with the youngest team to ever make the playoffs. And he, he just looks composed. He looks. He, he plays like he's thirty years old while still having the athleticism of a young quarterback and still having the raw talent in the arm of a young quarterback. He is nothing short of a franchise quarterback. He has the arm. He has the accuracy. He makes good reads. He, and also, in the in the later games of, in the later games of the season, I believe right now he's riding a sixteen to one interception ratio. All of those interceptions are from earlier in the season when he was still getting acclimated. So acclimated Jordan Love, who's used to the NFL environment, it only took him around seven games in in, in his first season starting, and you know he's he's he has a sixteen to one touchdown ratio ever since. He, he's been balling, man. Jordan, Jordan Love's been balling. Nothing short of balling. Nothing short mm-hmm. of leading the offense. Complete composure. Yeah, I think also with that, you also have to give some props to coach co- head coach Matt Lafleur. I mean. He is truly, I mean, truly has put together a masterful performance this year. I think he might be, uh, you know, might be coach of the year because what he's done with this offense and what he's done with Jordan Love is is amazing. I've never seen a midseason turnaround, I mean, quite like this with a quarterback. Usually it's pretty set in stone what you're going to get out of a guy, but Matt LaFleur is able to bring the best out of Jordan Love to the point where he's playing like a top 10 quarterback. And he's leading his team to playoff victories. And I think that has to be a lot of praise on Matt LaFleur's part. 
But I think to put this into perspective, how big this is for Jordan Love and how big this is for the Packers, I'd go as far to say that right now, and and I think I think I think Packer fans can agree with me that Jordan Love right now is better than what Aaron Rodgers could have been if he stayed. Because the way I feel about this, as you were saying, Alex, this is the youngest team to make it in the playoffs in NFL history. Aaron Rodgers historically does not click with his young receivers. And I think that with, that's what makes Love a much better fit for a young Packers team that will be able to, you know, blend together and be able to become and grow together rather than, you know, when you're with your, when you have Aaron Rodgers in the building, you're walking on eggshells, scared to offend him, scared to, you know, basically, you know, piss off Aaron Rodgers and then the seasons, then the seasons in jeopardy because he made Aaron Rodgers mad because he didn't let him do his darkness retreat, you know, and and with Jordan Love, you're just getting a different guy, a guy that is a hard worker, a little bit more quiet. And, you know, he's he's not a he's not a California kid that needs all this, you know, all this time in the spotlight. He's a good, hardworking kid that's going to get you playoff wins. So, I mean, I think he's a much better fit. Yeah. And, and also that shout out, shout out Coach Matt LaFleur for being able to welcome that change in, in the quarterback scenery. That was absolutely huge. And I'll go as far to say Matt LaFleur, he is, he is, took the Packers to two bye weeks in the playoffs, going 13 and three or 13 and four. And even, even though he's done that, the most impressive thing that Matt LaFleur has done is go to the playoffs with this team going nine and seven. Listen, it's the youngest team in the NFL to ever make the, to ever make the playoffs. And it's, it's, it's absolutely wild that this team made the playoffs. They, if you, if you look at the receiving core that Jordan Love has, you will see like, like age 22, age 23, age 23, age 22, like all these guys are rookies or in their second year. AJ Dillon has been what on the team for four seasons. And he's a veteran on the Packers <laughs> at this point. Like it's ridiculous how young this team is and how composed they are. Like you, they, they, you wouldn't think they're as young as they are with how composed they are. I credit that to coaching. I credit that to Matt LaFleur. I think he's a coach of the year candidate. My pick personally would be Kevin Stefanski, even though he did get eliminated from the playoffs. Um, and, and just what, what he was able to do to bring that Browns, Browns team um, and kind of revamp it, uh, when, even though they lost their, their quarterback uh, throughout the season. Man, though, though I must say, Coach LaFleur did his thing. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on to another NFC North team. Man, and a weekend of blowouts, the one game that stood out as a shining, you know, as a, as the shining game that everybody could finally just sit down and be like, man, a close game. And it was beautiful. It was Rams versus Lions, exactly how we predicted, Alex, a 24 to 23 win for the Detroit Lions. And it was pandemonium in Detroit. They won their first playoff game in over 30 years and golf rode off the haters. It was beautiful to see. But even more surprisingly for the Lions is they're going to host another playoff game and they're going to, and they're going to be able to, you know, they're going to be able to possibly make their way to the NFC championship. But before we get there, I just want to simply say, I mean, if you're a sports fan and you're not rooting for the Detroit Lions right now, what are you doing? Because this is one of the more beautiful stories we've seen in the past few decades in the NFL. This is something special. And uh, I, I feel like we're truly, we're truly lucky to be able to be witnessing this right now. What say you, Alex? Man, I'm a Packers fan, and I like the 2023-2024 Detroit Lions. That should tell you enough. Ah, man. 
and also one one thing about this team that that's just that's just beautiful to me is there's there's a lot of guys who were counted out on that team who who ended up kind of revamping their career in Detroit. It's it's almost like the 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 team of castaways that 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 just went back at it and did their thing. Specifically, I'm talking about the quarterback position and Jared Goff. He was casted away from the Rams, and he was he was thought of not good enough to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback after his performances. And honestly, for him to be able to beat his former team in the way that he did, it was it was phenomenal. See, he put up a great performance, and you also heard Dan Campbell Dan Campbell talk about him in the locker room, saying, "Jared, you're good enough for Detroit. You're our guy." The just that playoff game was the epitome of what Jared Goff has done in Detroit, and it was it was beautiful to see Detroit actually get a playoff win. It was. And honestly, I really just, you have to sit back and appreciate the culture that Dan Campbell has built. I love exactly what you said. This is a team of underdogs. This is a team of guys that have something to prove. And Dan Campbell himself feels the same way. And he embodies that as a former NFL player. He's a player's coach and he understands what, you know, that, you know, mentality and that kind of, you know, that kind of bring your lunch pail to work, you know, just get ready to, you know, get ready to fight in the trenches kind of mentality. I mean, it embodies Detroit. It embodies the guys on this football team. It's truly, uh, it's truly fitting to to have a coach and city paired together like this. And honestly, I can't wait to see what the Detroit Lions have in store for the rest of this playoff run and also in the upcoming years. Now, our second topic of the day is we're going to be giving you guys a little bit of a divisional preview. We're going to be breaking down each of the four games upcoming, and we're going to be giving a score prediction. Now, we're going to be going in chronological order of games on Saturday, then Sunday. And the first game on the slate is a big one, one that a lot of people have been looking forward to, and that is Texans at, at Baltimore. And they're going to be playing at Saturday at 4.30 and this is perfect for Alex and I to start with because we have a hot take to give, you know, Alex, how would you, how would you start? How would you start it off? Let the people know what you think. CJ Stroud will leave or CJ Stroud will lead the Texans to a win over the number one seed Baltimore Ravens in convincing fashion. This Ravens team, unfortunately for them, they have a, the, the the Lamar era Ravens have a history of collapsing towards um the playoffs and also CJ Stroud and the Texans are could honestly be called the hottest team in the NFL right now. The momentum they have is unparalleled, maybe to only the Packers. And what they've what they've been able to do, you know, to adapt to such a such a young team and such a, a like a team with a new face and a new quarterback and a new number one wide receiver, they've been able to do their thing. They've re- they've revamped this team. I think they're going to catch the Ravens off off guard. You know, the Ravens, they, they, they might be looking ahead a little bit. They already had a convincing win over the Texans in week one in which they beat them 9-26. to And I think the Texans are going to get up on them early. And I think Stroud's going to cook this Ravens defense. I can see the score going 28-20. to and I'm going to favor the Texans in that game. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's you know, it, it is it is kind of crazy to say. Obviously, the games speak for themselves. Baltimore is the best team in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. 
I completely agree with what you're saying, though, Alex. I feel like this is what the you know the, the term usually in the regular season for this type of game would be a quote unquote trap game. A team that doesn't isn't as strong as you on paper. You know they're a little bit inexperienced, but they have what it, what it takes to catch you. You know, catch you when you slightly have your guard down, and that's when they can beat you. One mistake, or you start a little bit slow. That's when you know. That's what these this Texan team is is hoping for. They're hoping that the Ravens have a little bit of arrogance, have their chest out. You know, think that they're the you know they're they're Super Bowl bound because you know we were the number one seed and we've blown everybody out this year. So the Texans team, you know, we're going to take them for granted, and that's exactly I think what's going to happen. The confidence that the Ravens are going to roll in with is going to is going to possibly blow back on them, and you know. I, I still have the Texans winning this game. I could see the Ravens coming back and, you know, and possibly taking it back. But I I just think if the Ravens come out even slightly, just, just, a, just a tad bit, you know, with a tad bit of overconfidence or a tad bit of, you know, or just a tad bit slow, I think the Texans are going to come and take this game away from them. I have this game being a bit of a high scoring affair, but I have in agreement with you, Alex, the Texans winning 31 to 28. Now, game number two on the Saturday slate is the Packers at the 49ers in the 815 window. Now, all I have to say about this game is the healthy a healthy 49ers team is scary. And honestly, I could leave I could leave it at that. But Alex, I know you disagree with me a little bit here, but I, I'd simply I'd simply just say that the dominance that this 49ers team is able to play with when all of their pieces are healthy on offensive and defense. I've never quite seen something like it, and I, I just think in terms of in terms of offense, I don't know if this Packers defense is going to be able to keep up with a healthy McCaffrey, a healthy Debo, a healthy Kittle, and a healthy Ayuk. It's a hard thing to do. Listen, I think the <clears throat> I think it goes without saying that McCaffrey must be stopped this game if you're the Green Bay Packers defense. McCaffrey is the player to stop, and. I've seen the Packers defense have individual have success over the individual of Christian McCaffrey back when he was at the Panthers. Uh, I believe there's a situation um, under the same defensive coordinator a few a few years ago, um, Joe Barry, in, in in which they they contained CMC when it came to him in the red zone. And I'm not gonna ride off of I'm not gonna ride off of you know what happened two years ago with CMC. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a whole different reason. This 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 Packers team, they have some of the best young fresh corners in the NFL. And if Brock Purdy has to throw the ball a little bit more times than he's comfortable, I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening. We saw how dangerous Jair Alexander was in that Cowboys team or in that Cowboys game, and he was mostly on Ceedee Lamb that game. So, and Ceedee Lamb statistically had the best season out of any wide receiver number one in, in, all of last season. So. I'm saying this 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 Packers secondary is capable of giving anyone issues. And and I think I think if the run is stopped, I can I can see the 49 I can see the 49ers losing it to the interceptions and turnovers. And the Packers they have shown that they can capitalize off of that. Yeah, the way I see what you're saying, but also at the same time, I, mean, I do I do feel like ah, I mean, I I I really I really do feel like though when it comes to this this Packers this Packers defense, I, I think they're not going to be able. I still just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with it. But 
on your point about Brock Purdy, I have trust and belief in him to to hold this game to a, a to a minimal turnover game and to be able to control to be able to control uh, the outcomes that, that happen. And I think if the the Forty ers are able to come out with a lead and they're able to establish the run and they're able to, I think where their where their where their defense is actually going to be able to succeed is take away the take away the running game and if the if the Packers are in a deficit. Make Jordan Love throw the ball and just rush the pa- and rush the passer. Make it hard for those young receivers to, you know, to to find to find their footing and just keep on relentlessly going after Jordan Love. He's the only way that they're going to win this game. But with the, if you eliminate Aaron Jones in the running game and just pretty much just say, "Hey, we got Nick Bosa, and I'm going to send him after your quarterback," you know, play and play and play again. It's going to be very difficult for the. It's going to be very difficult for the Packers to deal with that. And even though Jordan Love's played great. I don't know. I don't know anybody that can withstand that. And also, you know, with with the young receivers that the the, the Packers have, I don't know if they're going to be ready to step up in a game like this against a defense as formidable as the Forty ers I have this at a low scoring affair, uh, due due to my belief that the Packers mostly will have success capitalizing off of turnovers, rather their own offense against the 49ers, because I do think the 49ers defense, and as that as you mentioned, Nick Bosa and that ferocious pass, uh, pass rush will probably get to Jordan Love a little bit. I honestly don't think we'll see the sweetest game from him, but I have it going 19-17 to 17 Packers. I see them winning on a last-second field goal off of maybe a Brock Purdy mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to differentiate on that. I'm going to say Brock Purdy is able to hold his own. And I'm gonna have the 49ers winning 34 to 20. I am gonna say that the Packers are gonna put up a good fight on offense, but uh, I'm gonna say, yeah, down the stretch, especially in the fourth quarter, I think that's when the 49ers defense is gonna shut them down. Um, we di- we disagree a little bit on this on that one, Alex, but um, I have a game in the Sunday window that I think we're both gonna agree on the outcome, and that is Buccaneers at the Lions at 3 p.m. And I think the Lions, on paper, they should cruise through this thing, but I think you and I both are in uh, in agreement that the, the the Lions are going to somehow find a way to keep this game close, but I think they're going to find a way to win. However, they're going to do that at the at you know at the cost of giving their fans a heart attack because I'm telling you, there's 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 no way this is not going to be a one possession game because I I think the 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 Buccaneers pass offense is really hot right now. Baker Mayfield looks the best we've ever seen him and. As we mentioned before, that Detroit that Detroit pass defense is subpar, and Puka Nakua proved that this previous weekend when they played him. So I, I'd say that look, this game really shouldn't be close, and I think the Buccaneers really should, you know, should not be in this game. But I think it's still going to be a one possession game. What do you think? I I have the exact same opinion. This this Detroit team this season, the narrative around them has been they're doing good, but in, they're in every single game, even the games they lose, like that unfortunate loss to the Dallas Cowboys they had towards the end of the season um, with the with the, the refereeing issue. They, they always find themselves in games, but they, they honestly shouldn't be in some of the games that they're in. They, they, they make it close with bad teams, and they make it close with good teams. So I, I I and I think this this Buccaneers team is riding a little bit of momentum, and momentum is everything in the playoffs. Uh, I think I think we can see this going to a close scoring affair, uh, and I do think it is going to be on the higher end. This Detroit offense has you know hit a spark recently, and um, the Detroit passing defense, as you mentioned earlier, 
has not. I, th- I believe Puka Nakua had like 180 yards uh, and, and a, mm-hmm. maybe a few tutties on them too. It was it was ridiculous. He was looking like prime Randy Ra- prime Randy Moss out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I, I can like I, Mike Evans a more composed like a more composed more physical taller receiver who was Super Bowl experience. I can see him absolutely giving the Lions trouble. And I can see it getting close. And I'm leaning towards a yeah. 30 to 27 scorecard in favor of yeah, the Lions. We've done a lot of talking about the Buccaneers, but I will say, you know, the Lions, their offense will find a way to make it out of this game. I think that, you know, they're going to be aggressive and that, you know, that's the double-edged sword because Dan Campbell is a very, very aggressive coach and that's what's going to probably put them into a into a deficit or perhaps keep this game close, but when it comes to late game decisions, it's probably what's going to push the Lions over the edge for a win. You know, whether it's a fourth and five, go for it call, or a you know, or it's a you know on defense send an aggressive blitz. That's a that's a Dan Campbell call all day. That's his philosophy. Yeah. So if I if there's one thing you can count for him, if there's one thing you can count on with Dan Campbell, is that he's going to show balls in the play caller, and normally <laughs> it does end up in their favor. It usually, yeah, it usually does. Um, that's so I'm going to take the Detroit Lions. Uh, I'm going to take them 30 to 23 and probably say that it's going to be a walk-off game-winning drive from Jared Goff in the offense. All right. Now, 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 ladies and gentlemen, the last and possibly the most interesting game on the schedule an absolute classic that we've been blessed to witness for the last few years. This is Chiefs versus Bills at 6.30 on Sunday night. Boy, oh boy, Alex. I feel like we've heard this exact one a few times before, and every single time we've heard it, it's been an amazing game. And I think it's going to be, uh, it needs to be quite the same for this one. Um, but this is a very different Kansas City team than we've seen in the past. Uh, what do you feel like we're going to see from Kansas City in this game? And um, do you feel like they're going to be able to slow down Josh Allen? Short answer, no. I don't think they're going to be able to <laughs> slow down Josh Allen. <laughs> both these teams, are, it is important to distinct that both these teams are used to the cold environment, so there won't be any weather implications that, from Buffalo that won't affect you know the, the Kansas City players that are already used to extremely cold games. But I think it is important to know how well this – Buffalo offensive line has shaped to be this season and how many running lanes that Josh Allen has been able to uh, scramble and get. Listen, Josh Allen, he does get a few running calls where he's called to just run. But honestly, if you look at what he does mostly, if he doesn't like what he's seeing from the coverage and he thinks the team's locking him up too much, he will find a lane in that passing, in that, in that, off, in that offensive line. Somebody will create a gap. And he will be able to scramble and, and and be able to get it done with his legs. And I think with 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 Buffalo having a dangerous run game this season, uh, with 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 Josh Allen and also having a dangerous passing game with uh, with Davis and with Diggs, it, it, I think I think it's going to be too much for the Kansas City Chiefs to worry about this season. And I think the thing that's going to make them fall short is they don't have the same amazing receiving core to follow and be able to, you know, get into a real touchdown war heavy game with them. Buffalo is going to score a lot. That's a given. It's Josh Allen. But the given is if the thing that's not given is if Kansas City can 
you know, follow that up. And I, I truly believe this year they don't have the facilities in the receiving core to be able to do that. I see it going to a high scoring game. I can see the score going, let's say, 45 to 25. I think it's I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be pretty bad, and I think we're going to see the Bills run off with it early, or we're going to, and we're going to see Kansas City kind of try to get their own towards the end, or we'll see the opposite. But I think we'll see at least one half domination by the Bills. Yeah, I, I do see that, but also at the same time, uh, I think this game is going to find a way to still be close because, like we were saying with the, I mean, the Lions and the Buccaneers, sometimes with these guys, it's almost like there's a script for them. I mean, it it seems to just stay close, so. I could, I could see, I could see it staying close, but yeah, I still agree with you. I feel like, look, from what I said before, this is a very different Kansas City team we've seen from, you know, from their Super Bowl winning era. They don't have the same offense, and they aren't the same, you know, they aren't the 13 second, you know, game winning drive type of team that we saw them against the Bills and in past years. And the strength of their team now is their defense, but with this. I know this Bills offense now having the ability to run the ball, not only with Josh Allen, but also with James Cook and their other running backs. They've kind of added a new element to their offense. And on top of that, they also have a third receiver who looked absolutely electric in the previous game, Khalil Shakir. So you add all that on top of each other. It's just piece by piece. The Bills are just getting slightly, slightly better. And the Kansas City Chiefs are taking a step back. So now it just feels like you just got to give you just got to give the Bills a little bit of an edge. And on top of that, the Bills are also at home. So you just give them, again, just piece by piece by piece. They're stacking up small little victories over the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think that's what's going to push them over the edge this year. I have them winning 27-21. to 21, And I think it's not going to be the cleanest game for either of these quarterbacks. But Josh Allen's still going to find a way to win and send Kansas City home. Expect that Buffalo crowd to be wild. That's all I'm going to say. Snowballs will be thrown. Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> You'll see a 13th man emerge, on, or the 12th man emerge <laughs> on that field, man. Yeah, so. you, might even, you might even see a streaker. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> that's right. Anyway. <laughs> In freezing cold uh, weather. Thank you guys for listening into the podcast. <laughs> and freezing oh my gosh um thank you guys for listening to the podcast this has been a good episode um we're so blessed to be able to record for you guys and talk about the best sport in the world and on um, playoff weekends so uh keep on listening in and yeah thank you for staying throughout this part of the episode if you had all right see y'all peace peace out <laughs>